0: Uh, today I've had the privilege of uh, preaching in all the gatherings today and what makes that pretty cool for me is This is the first time that i've had the opportunity to preach here at oakland Now when I was over at the winter garden campus as a campus pastor over there I get to preach over there on a regular basis, but to be here today all day has been awesome for me And so i'm glad to be here uh, But if you came here tonight and you were thinking Hey uh, can't wait to see what Romans has for me today, then you're going to be uh, very disappointed because we're not going there, all right? We'll, we will return to regularly scheduled programming at a future date. Uh, but today, what we're going to do is just kind of push pause on all that's been going on here through Romans. And from time to time, what we like to do as a church is just take a look at what God has invited us into as we look at what he's doing to make the gospel beautiful all over the planet. And so tonight, we're going to look at global missions and what God is inviting us into. And in order to get into that uh, tonight, what I want to do is I want to ask you guys a question that we've all asked or at least wrestled with in some way, shape, or form. I know I have. Uh, I've seen other people wrestle with this question. I've certainly read about it in the pages of scripture because what I see is like uh, God introduces himself he injects himself into our lives and when he does that he reveals something about himself and and it may be in life events Uh, It may be the birth of a child or it may be a hard situation, maybe when we buy a house, some kind of life event that is out there. Or or it may be when we're in a gathering, much like we're in tonight, where we're sitting in rows and uh, just kind of exploring what God would have for us. It may be when you're at a missional community meeting or a Bible study, you're hearing how people are wrestling with God, hearing from Him and what it looks like to be obedient and that motivates you. Maybe it's just in your personal time with God. Where you're reading the Bible and, and there are things that just come alive in the pages of scripture and you're like, man, this is amazing. And, and God moves into that space and shows you more of who he is and what he has for you. And, and wherever that may be or however that may shake out and, and how that plays itself out, we know that uh, God just continually moves into time and space and, and he reveals that information. And then here's how this begins to challenge us. When he reveals himself, his plans and his purposes, that where we are in our life and then what he is inviting us into are often two very, very, very different places, right? We're we're just kind of down here doing life and then he reveals himself and there's an adjustment that must take place if we're going to join him in what he is up to. We simply cannot just stay the course and expect to join God in the invitation that he extends to us. And that leaves us right on the doorstep of the question that I think we've all asked at some point in our life or we've wrestled with that. You ready for the question? Yeah? Okay, here's the question. Now what? Been there? <laughs> I have. I've been there. I think back to 1992. I was in my senior year of college. Uh, I was finishing up last semester. We're going into spring break. And I'm getting ready to marry Gina. Gina who I've been dating for five years. Now, at this point in my life, I'm a new believer. I'm two, three years old in my walk with God. God's showing me new and exciting things about himself. I'm making adjustments. I'm growing to be more Christ-like in rapid form in those early years. Gina is rekindling a relationship that she started much earlier in life. And so she's in a space where she's growing rapidly as well. And we sense there, right before spring break, it's like, hey, this is the time that we're going to tie the knot. We're going to be a team united and sent out on mission to do great things for God. But here's here's what was going on, right? I'm a single guy. And, and I'm going to step into this invitation that God has to step into marriage. So there's going to need to be an adjustment there, right? And here's where the adjustment was. At this point in my young adult life, all that I had ever known for a roommate were guys, dudes, all right? That's all I had known. And, and here's the challenge in that. Guys do life differently than women, Right? I mean, it's just a different way of going about things. See, here's what I where I was, and I was going to be married. So there were some things that are very different there. I mean, I was eating different things then. I mean, I ate frozen burritos, Tony's pizza. I'd go to the store to buy deeply discounted meat, and it was deeply discounted because it was a little discolored. But I could handle it. I could take it. My gut could handle that. Man, but I would never feed that to Gina. Like, no way, it's not gonna happen. We, we would watch different channels. We still watch different channels, except when she ropes me into HGTV, right? But, but we watch different things. We watch different movies, right? At the time, I mean, guys go to movies that you have to go to the theater. You have to, and, and the girls go begrudgingly, but you have to go to the theater because you need to feel stuff blow up, right? You gotta, <laughs> You don't need to go to the movie for a drama or a love story. Totally unnecessary. Wait for that to come out on Netflix or, or it shows up at Redbox and you get it on DVD. You can watch that at home because the only thing blowing up in that is a relationship and you don't need surround sound for that. Right? It's unnecessary totally unnecessary. And the way that we go about life, like guys and girls, it was different when I was much younger. See, I remember one, uh, one year, I was getting, it was the summer, I was getting ready to move from one apartment to another, and so I'm getting all my stuff, I'm packing it all up, and, and I get into the kitchen, I'm pulling plates and cups and different things, and there I go, and in the sink are dirty dishes, So I grab a bag and I put them in there and I pack them in my car and I go to my next apartment. I'm unpacking all my stuff and and I put it into this place and I go and I grab that bag of dirty dishes and I put it back in the sink where it goes, right? (laughs) And you laugh. You laugh, guys. You laugh because you were there. You were there. This is the same kind of stuff you pulled too, right? You were living in a certain way and, and, and God was inviting you to something else. And now you dress better, you smell better, you're more refined. Why? Because there was a choice. There was a choice. You were living life here. God was inviting you into this space and you had a choice to make. Will, will I continue in my bachelorness or will I go ahead and make the jump? And become somebody who's actually a contributor in the relationship. Somebody who loves and serves and and is able to shepherd this young lady well. That was a change. That's one of those now what moments that I've had in my life. I've also had another one. And it was in about 2006 or so. And uh, Gina and I were contemplating the process of adoption. And so we're deciding like what does this look like? Is this what God's calling us into? And there we are. Trying to figure out, is it going to be, because uh, at this point, we already had a child, a biological child. And, and so we're like, do we continue on as a trio? Just kind of continue on in business as usual? Or is God inviting us here into the space of adoption? And so we began praying and seeking God. And we sensed from him, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be adoption. And so we start filling out all the paperwork. And we start sending in uh, all kinds of money and saving all kinds of money. And, and we just kind of join God in this space. And then we get invited about a year later or so uh, to Ukraine. And, and it all changed for us when I saw this one video, this adoption video, that uh, it was just so compelling about the orphan crisis. And I remember uh, just walking away from that video going, no. This can't happen. Something must be done about this. And so that's when we started that whole process. And so there we are in Ukraine about a year later after having this moment where I've heard some call it a moment of holy discontent. Where it's like, no, we can step into that space redemptively. And so there we are in Ukraine and uh, we spent thousands of dollars and spent about 10 days in that country only to have the representatives that uh, give you the referral for the child tell us there is absolutely no child in that entire country that matched our request that was a a young girl between 24 and 48 months or so with minor correctable issues. And so we were living here, followed God into this place where we were gonna make an adjustment and they told us, we don't have anyone for you. You're gonna have to come back in a few months and then maybe we'll have something for you. And it's not supposed to work like that, right? When you step into a redemptive space like that, you're supposed to come home with a child. I mean, I understand walking into adoption and coming home with a child where you have to do counseling and go through some rough spots. That kind of adjustment, I get that. But to go all the way over, step into the adoption story and come back without a kid, it's not supposed to work like that. And then to compound all that, When we got home a few months later, our agency says, hey, you may want to consider changing countries because all that's going on over in Ukraine is is rapidly declining. And so now, what? Now what? Well, where we were still and what God had invited us into was two very different places. And so we filled out the forms again. We filled out all that paperwork, went to all those doctor appointments, did all that, uh, all that work again, and then we sent our stuff off. And then about three years after coming to the point where we had watched that video and were compelled to step into that journey and join God in this space, about three years later, we got on the plane as a family of three and we flew halfway around the world and we landed in the country of Ethiopia and there we met a little four-year-old girl that was named Zeminesh that we now call JC, and a little six-month-old girl who was her biological sister named Takalech, who we now call Karis. And you'll see them running amok around here every once in a while. And see that all the whole time was God's plan. It was his, his opportunity to show us what he was doing in his grace, in his mercy, his sovereignty. He had the plan all worked out. And here's what's crazy. Had we gotten what we thought we wanted in Ukraine, here's what's crazy. Our youngest daughter, Karis, wasn't even alive. And we would have missed out on the incredible joy of knowing those two girls who we now call our daughters. And, and, and guys, I could tell you story after story after story of ways that uh, we've been invited into spaces and some of them we joined God and it went great and other times we totally missed it. I'm sure you could share stories if we had open mic night. Just put a mic up here and say, hey, everybody come up and share a story about a time when you were here and God revealed himself, an invitation to join him in his work, and you did that. You would have stories to tell too. And what's cool is, this is not some kind of modern phenomenon that just happens today. It's happened all throughout scripture. Let's go all the way back, a couple, 3,000 years or so, and we bump into the life of Abraham. Abraham, who we talked about last week. If you weren't here, man, go podcast that message. It was awesome. You gotta catch up on that one. But Abraham, what's he doing? Minding his own business out in the desert. And then God shows up and says to him, hey, Abraham, I'm gonna send you to a land that I will show you. Pack it all up and let's get ready to go. Now, when you read that, that's a super inspiring story, isn't it? You read that and you're like, wow! The faith that it's necessary to live like that. Man, that's a great story for someone else. You know what I'm talking about. Like this, when you are faced with that kind of decision. Imagine God coming to you and your family. And he says, hey, pack up all your stuff and then I'm gonna take you to a land that I will show you. And so you start packing it all up and then God said, and you're like, hey, is it north, south, east, west? Where are we going, God? He's like, eh, no concern to you, just pack it. Well, I'll tell you later. That's not very comfortable. We don't like those kinds of spaces, do we? We want a little more detail. Then you could even see it in the life of Moses, right? The, this, uh, here's where you are. Here's what God is doing. Moses, he's just minding his own business on the backside of the desert and he's shepherding some animals. God shows up in a burning bush and says, Moses, here's what's gonna go down. I'm gonna send you back to Egypt and you're gonna lead my people out of slavery. And then if you read that story, you can kind of catch this dialogue going back and forth between God and Moses where God sends this out and says, here's what's going to happen. Here's the invitation, Moses. And you can see Moses going, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. We can't make this, this can't happen, God. Because if I go back there, you of all would know that if I go back there, yeah, I kill the guy. If I go back, things aren't going to end well for me. I can't go back there. Not only that, but I stutter. I've got a speech impediment. There's got to be somebody else on this green earth that you have created that would be far more cre- uh, able to be persuasive and to invite people to, to uh, move into that space and say, all right, here it is. Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. I'm, you're going to let God's people go. They're, and You lead them out. It, it can't be me, God. And you can see God kind of respond to that. He's like, no, man, Moses, before you even knew what was going on, I floated you down river and I put you into the hands of the royal family. You know, the culture, you know, the customs, I mean, you know, the palace, like the back of your hand, I could send you in there like seal team six, man, nobody'd even know you were there. I mean, this is how it could roll for you. This is, you're the guy. I have chosen you. We see it in the disciples. Here's where they are. God's inviting them. Jesus shows up and says, hey, I've invited you on a journey to be fishers of men. Do they stay the course or make the adjustment? Paul, he's happy, happy persecuting the church. And then Jesus intersects his life and says, hey, I've got an invitation for you. Here's what life is going to look like. Does he stay the course or make the change? And then ultimately, we see this story play out most beautifully in the the gospel story of Jesus. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Look at how he lives. He comes down from heaven where he's worshiped and adored. And he comes here to what we affectionately call the planet of death, where it doesn't go so well for people. And he comes here and he lives life perfectly, the life we were supposed to live. And as he's engaging in ministry, what happens regularly? He pulls away from people, doesn't he? And when he pulls away from people, what is he doing? He's praying. He's seeking his heavenly father because he recognizes here's where my life is and God the father is inviting him to these spaces and what we see play out over and over and over in the gospel story is Jesus is faithful. Every time he joins, he makes the adjustment and and joins God in what he has revealed. And we learn that in Philippians chapter two where we're told that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. His obedience, his perfection in following God and in those invitation cost him his life. It's, it's, it's crazy when you start looking at that. I mean, we get reminder after reminder after reminder that our God is a missional God. He comes and he pursues us. He reveals his plan. He invites us into that plan and then he, he starts redemption and then he sends us out to make sure that we get to share that story with others so that they can experience the very same things that we get to experience. I mean, it's crazy how he does that. Over and over, he reveals that. And then he invites us into those spaces. And it's super compelling to hear stories about people like Abraham and Moses and the disciples and Paul. I mean, those are cool stories to hear because God shows up in unmistakable fashion And then he reveals that plan and then there's change. Like, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus would show up in bodily form and take you out to one of the tables that is out in just outside the lobby, just outside the doors there and to sit you down and just to sit eye to eye and knee to knee from you across that table and you could hear from him, here is what I want you to do. Who would want that? Like Jesus showing up, I want, I want you to tell me exactly what you want me to do. Wouldn't that be awesome, yeah? Three people are, are holy and righteous in here. The rest of you are never going to know. Like you're never going to hear from God. Now everybody wants that, right? That's an awesome thing to have God come and tell you exactly what he wants you to do. So if that's where you're at, you're going to love this, all right? If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. Now, uh, If you have your smart device, you can open up there. If you're using one of the Bibles we have here, at mosaic, you can open up to page 926. Now, here's what I want to caution you with as we jump into these verses. I mean, you guys, uh, you, you've, most of you guys that I, I've talked with, you've been walking with God for a long time. You've spent time in the Bible. You've been in churches. You, you, I mean, you've heard the verses that we're about to read. None of this is going to be like super new to you. You're going to go, yeah, I know. I've heard, of, I've heard messages on that. I mean, I've even memorized that. I mean, we got it on our mirror. We got posters all over. I mean, it's on everything we own. I mean, we know this. We know how this one goes. And so here's what I want to caution us with in regards to that, though. When, when we're really familiar with something, we miss the importance of it because we just kind of assume that we've already got that. And so we just kind of gloss over and go, yeah, 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 I got that. Give me something else that I don't know. And here's what I want to do. Caution us in that. And, and, and don't let familiarity rob you of the opportunity that God has given you by reading his word and what he has for us tonight. And here's what I think will help with that. In the very same way that we would love to sit across the table from Jesus and hear him say, here's what I want you to do. We have that opportunity today, and I think that it helps when we slot ourselves into this story, and we don't just read it like just words on a page, but we actually put ourselves into that story, and as we do that, then we can kind of visualize like, oh, I see, this would be like Jesus speaking right to me. So if you will do that, it will feel very much like you're at that table, and he's telling you what to do, okay? So you ready to go? is gonna get good. This is gonna get really, really good. And here's why. Because Jesus is addressing the people and giving them an incredible command. And so envision that you're there hearing these words for the first time. Let's jump in at verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, all right, he came to them. Who's the them? Us, right? We're there. He came to them and this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, let's pause right there. You know what the word all means in the original language? Everything. All, everything. It's pretty profound, I know. I, I, see, All. aren't you glad you came tonight? Like all, it's everything. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do we realize what Jesus is saying here? I mean, stop and think about this. All authority in heaven on earth given to him. What he has said here is, I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And nobody is there pulling the yellow flag, throwing it out on the field, going, foul. No, 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 no. Jesus, nobody gets that much power. All right? We have checks and balances in our culture where that can't happen. So just throttle back there, okay? Slow down. We don't do that. Why is nobody doing that? Because this is the resurrected Jesus saying these words. And they know that. The resurrected Jesus, the one who has beaten death. They saw him alive. They saw him die. Now they see him back to life. They see this Jesus And they're like, wow, yeah, okay, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, no problem, no argument with us. This is the same guy who when the wind and the waves were going crazy, he says, stop, they stop. When he rolls into town and there's someone who's demon possessed, it's not like the movies we see now. Where you see some wimpy, nerdy, religious guy come in, and the guy's demon possessed, and there's pea soup flying everywhere, and they're just like, You know, you need to go. And they're scared and they're shaking. You know what I mean? This is not Jesus. He does not roll into town and go, Oh, I hope this goes okay. This is the one when he rolls into town and he speaks to those demons and says, You need to go. There's no question what happens. It immediately happens. They move and adjust and get out. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. This is the one that has said these words. So, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So, whatever he says after this now becomes super important, doesn't it? If he's got that much... Riding on he, Whatever he says afterwards really matters. Let's go to verse 19. So all authority has been given him, and he says this, to go. Let's stop right there. Now you're like, we're never getting through this tonight. Yes, we will. We will get through with this. But that word, go, is an incredibly important word. That word go encapsulates all that I've been talking about tonight. This word go... it's that now what moment. What do I do with this? I've been living here, God, and you've invited me here to go, so now what? Go implies a lot of adventure, does it not? I mean, that word's a powerful word. Adventure, excitement. It's not staying where we're at and, and just kind of doing life in the same old mundane way. Go is out there. It's what we haven't seen or tasted yet. Go is bigger than us. Go is something eternal. Go is God coming to us and saying, you know what, guys? I have been making the gospel beautiful all over the world. And now I'm inviting you into the story. You get to play a part in what happens in eternity. That's what go means. That's what's going on here. Go is an incredibly powerful word. And he sends us off to make disciples. He sends us off. He says, go and do this. Make disciples of all nations. You tell them who I am and all that I have done to rescue, redeem, and restore their lives. And then you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, look at how he bookends this, starts it out, I've got all the power. Then look at how he closes this down. He says, I am with you always. To the end of the age. This is the great co-mission. Not the great mission. Co-mission. He's right there with us. He doesn't send us out there and go, I hope things go well. You know, let me know if you need any help. Write me a letter and I'll get back to you as quickly as I can. No, this is God saying, you know what? I want to send you out. You go. You teach them about me. Tell them about me. And you're not going alone. I'm with you. The same resurrected Jesus that launched these words out is with us his spirit comes with us and empowers us to to uh, speak incredible truth and this is not something this go this invitation it's certainly powerful amongst us individually right this is something that we ought consider for our own lives and what this means to us personally but it does not stop there it does not stop there. It's so much, uh, so much more broad than that. So, more, uh, so, so far reaching that sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend exactly what's going on. Because it also matters to us corporately as a church. And so uh, a few days ago uh, I had asked Gabe. I said, you know what Gabe? How did you guys discern what we would do? And Gabe's in charge of uh, discipleship and mission here at uh, Mosaic and I asked him I said hey Pastor Gabe what do you what did you do to figure out how we were going to uh, engage in what we engage in as a church and he's he's basically said you know he and Renault and other leaders had gotten together and they recognized that we were here as a church but that God was up to much in our world and they were just figuring out what it looked like to adjust And join him in what he had invited us into. And he had invited us into two things. They discerned two things that God would invite us into. Now, are there more than two things that God is doing on the planet? Certainly. Certainly. But these two things were what he had invited us into. And then uh, he launched those things out. Here's what we were invited to locally and globally. That is church planting and justice and mercy ministry church planting and justice and mercy ministry. Now thanks to your generosity to the Get Loud initiative and, and even before that when you were offering, bringing your tithes and offerings here, God began to use those uh, resources to do incredible things all across the globe. I mean, he has been doing massive things and and I want you to hear just a little bit about what he has been doing and invited us into and we've been able to see some amazing things go down. Uh, Check this out on this first slide. Five years ago, we were involved in five different countries. we're, We're in the middle of this little sand spit out in the middle of the ocean called Florida and we're this little body of people out here saying, all right, God, what would you have for us to do? And God invited us into five countries? That's amazing, even if we stop right there. That five countries are being impacted for the the, the gospel because of, of the faithfulness of this church giving time, energy, and resources so that the gospel would be made known all around the world. But here we are five years later, and that number has quadrupled. 20 countries are now being impacted. That is crazy. Only something God could do. That's only something he could do. Not only that, check this out. The next slide. Four years ago, we were helping support one church outside of ours. One. Here we are four years later. Seven churches are now being supported all across the globe because of the faithfulness of people, uh, time, energy, and resources. I mean, this is exciting stuff. Again, only a story God could write. And what's so amazing about that and, and motivating is... Around here at Mosaic, what really fires us up as leaders and and stuff that we try to, you know, share with with you guys is the very same things that you and I love about Mosaic. I mean, we love to come here and, and engage in meaningful worship. We love to come and be inspired by the teaching of God's word. We then like to take that and then go live it out on mission wherever we're at, and then uh, we love being in community, right? Those things that we know and love about Mosaic, the same gospel intentionality that we experience here, guys, we want that for every single person on this planet. We want to see that happen, and we believe that church planting is a catalyst for that To happen. And that's why we're excited to be part of the Acts 29 network, which is a network of churches that plant churches, that plant churches. And so where there was a place where there was no gospel focus, that now there's a church there. And we love to see churches continue to step into that space. And so, I mean, I could talk about that all day long because the importance of the local church flourishing in the far reaches of this planet is of utmost importance. But as much as I could say about it, I think a picture, uh, it'll tell uh, a thousand words. And so I want you to watch this video that the Acts 29 network has produced and just see and hear the importance of the local church thriving all across the planet. Check this out.
1: Church planting is God's strategy to disciple the nations. It is through his church that Christ will reach into every corner of the earth. And so we go. We drill deep into our neighborhoods with the transforming power of the gospel. We reach wide with the gospel so that the whole world can hear. The gospel word is alive. It penetrates hearts and cultures. With it, we drill deep into the richness and brokenness of our community. Imagine a society saturated with churches committed to radically serve their neighbourhoods, to face head-on the complexities of their culture, fighting injustice, exposing lies, celebrating diversity, lifting high the name of Jesus. Imagine life springing forth in barren post-Christian cultures. Imagine passion welling up amongst families once bored of empty religious tradition. Imagine peace in communities long divided by history and race. Imagine Hispanic churches planting out of English-speaking churches in the most diverse cities in the U.S. A church in South Africa where people of all backgrounds and skin color link arms under one savior. A church in a project comprised of men and women, once addicts, gang members, thieves, pimps, and prostitutes but now loving God and others faithfully, joyfully, sacrificially, A church in Turkey lovingly speaking truth despite bombs in the streets and threats from extremists. Imagine an explosion of churches planting churches, digging ever deeper with the beauty of Christ into the ugliest parts of their communities. We are drilling deep, let's drill even deeper. Now imagine this gospel spreading, reaching into every dark corner of this planet. Imagine a surge of disciples wanting to be trained and sent out. Men, women, families counting the cost to go where Christ is not yet named. Not knowing when or if they will return. Imagine indigenous communities of light sprouting in dark, inaccessible and intimidating contexts where grace is still not known. Imagine a work with refugees in Europe giving homes to the homeless, giving hope to the hopeless, fueled by prayers that one day these men and women will return home bravely, wisely to plant churches. A church in the poorest parts of Brazil, feeding families, providing education, speaking truth. Academies, equipping and resourcing young Christians to engage with the mounting complexities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this world. Churches in the Middle East, Seeing members martyred, but still holding unswervingly to the truth they professed. Communities forming and growing, shaped by the Gospel, in deeply secular cultures and communities. A church in Paris, discipling and sending Iranians back home, transformed and equipped with Gospel zeal. Imagine churches all over this globe, partnering together, flourishing and reaching out with the Gospel. By God's grace, we are reaching wide. Let's pray for gospel arms to reach even wider around the world. There is not a square inch of this world that Christ on the cross has not won for himself. There is not a square inch where the church of Christ should not be. Showing love, giving hope, speaking truth. Acts 29 is a diverse global family of church planting churches, drilling deeper reaching wider, planting churches until every neighborhood is saturated with the gospel so that the unreach are no longer the unreachable.
0: Yeah. All evening you have seen an image behind me that says imagine a movement. Imagine a movement of people that dare to dream what it might look like to make the adjustment from where we are into what God has invited us into. I mean, imagine a movement of people that are, are driven to the nations. Like this slide behind me. So there's three parts to church planting and justice and mercy ministries. Like the first one right there in the middle to the nations, and that's gonna happen primarily through church planting. But imagine a movement of people that lay their life all on the line, and they say, I'm all in. My time, my talents, my resources, I want that to count for the nations, where there is little to no gospel influence, that the churches, we begin to pop up in those spaces, and now the, that restoration would be preached. Redemption would begin to take place because the gospel begins to drive deep into people's lives and lives are changed. Imagine a movement of people that are engaged that way because that's what begins to happen is the church begins to strengthen that. The church begins to be all that God planned her to be. And, and a, a redemptive story starts to take place because that church strengthens and then they plant another church who then goes through the same process and then plants another church. But it doesn't stop there. Because imagine a movement where the people that move outside the walls of that church now step into the right side of that slide, into the marginalized. And the marginalized are the people that society has largely said, okay, we don't really care. We don't really have time for you. These would be the orphans, the widows, the poor and needy, people that are stuck in human trafficking. And, and imagine a movement of people that said, no, I'm going to step into that invitation and I'm going to be a solution. I'm gonna, uh, I want to make the gospel beautiful in that space. In the last couple of weeks, about 20 people, uh, they were in Guatemala and in South Africa from here at Mosaic. They stepped into that place of marginalization. They were helping orphans and they were helping the poor and the needy. But imagine a movement of people where it's not just handfuls of people. 20 people, that's awesome. That's something to be celebrated. But imagine moving from handfuls of people to roomfuls of people because what happens here on any given weekend, there's a couple thousand people that have been in this room today. And of those couple thousand people, what would it look like for hundreds upon hundreds of people to step in and say, you know what? I can step into that space of marginalization in a redemptive way. And so when we talk about mission trips coming where we step into the lives of the marginalized, that there's a meeting for a mission trip and now the room is packed and it fills to capacity, whatever the trip may be, and it's done in record time because we've imagined a movement and dared to step into that space and said, yes, I want to be a part of the solution but we recognize it doesn't stop there either as the church begins to thrive and step outside the walls into the lives of the marginalized we also recognize that on the left hand side of the slide we're right here right now in our neighborhoods our neighbors the people that we know and love and who know and love us People like, uh, you know, neighbors, coworkers, friends, family, uh, maybe some refugees or immigrants that have come and they're trying to figure out, how do I do life in the United States? I don't even know where to go and what to do. And that we're living life and sharing and loving and engaging with these people in such a way that we can see what makes them tick and they can see what makes us tick. And then the gospel begins to just shine out in those spaces because we stepped in as a missionary knowing that we can bless and love and serve those people. So the nations, the marginalized, the neighbors, man, that's what we've been called into. That's the space that we get to be a part of. And what's so cool about that is as that begins to come to life and flesh itself out, what happens is our vision begins to take flight here at Mosaic, which is demonstrating our passion for God and his passion for people. And that becomes an exciting place to be. Lots of, uh, of, of cool stories flow out of that. So here we are, the evening of Global Mission Sunday. And the question has to be asked that I started at the beginning. Now what? Now what, guys? Well, that largely depends on you and what you do with what has been shared. And And I, I invite you to learn from the pages of the book that I should write, that I should be titled, titling it, you know, oops, I think I jacked that one up, God. You know, I, I, I could write that book because it's happened over and over and over in my life where I've been living here, God has invited me here, and I just kept on going and I missed the invitation. I want to take you back to uh, Ethiopia, so you can learn from my mistakes. We're in Ethiopia and a couple days away from coming home with our kids. And when we were there, we were in a travel group. So about 10 families or so, uh, we did everything together. And so a couple days out, they take us to the market so we could go buy souvenirs uh, to bring back to our family and friends and people that had helped with the adoption journey. So we're in the marketplace. I'm getting off the bus, getting ready to kind of like, yeah, let's go look for stuff that we can bring back. And I'm just zoned in on that. And so I get in, I get off the bus. And then immediately, this one little boy, an orphan, street child, just kind of, He locks eyes with me, and then I'm his guy the rest of the day there. Like, he just tracked me down everywhere I went. Didn't matter. When I came out of the store, there he was. Hey! You know, and so I'd go in and out of of one marketplace to another to another, and he was always there ready to meet me. And I tried to explain to him, like, no, I got to, you know, And he spoke Amharic, I did not. And so I'm like, I'm going to go in here, buy stuff, and then you. And I think he understood what I was doing because he, he went with me the whole way. And so there I was going place to place to place got to the end because in my mind that's how it was going to play out and then at the end I would go and I would buy the most expensive pack of gum I'd ever bought in my life and so when I was done that's exactly how it played out I tracked the boy down and I began to take a picture with him and I looked down and I saw his feet he was wearing shoes that the toe box had been cut out because his foot no longer fit in that shoe And so his foot is hanging out over the shoe because that's the only way he could keep that shoe on. And here's the sad reality in that story. You see, up to that point, I had in my mind, this is what I was going to do. And God had revealed an opportunity right there. I was here right where he wanted me and he was inviting me into a story where the gospel could be made beautiful to this little 10, 11-year-old boy. But I was so focused on what I had in mind that it never occurred to me while I was with that boy, it never occurred to me to go back into one of those stores that sold these little leather sandals that I could have easily purchased inexpensively and put them on my feet and given that boy my nice pair of running shoes that I had that he did not have to cut the toe box out and would have easily lasted him a couple years. It never occurred to me because I was so throttled up on my RPMs about what I wanted to accomplish that it, it didn't, I'd love to say I got back on the bus and I was like, no, wait, I got to go give my shoes to that kid, stop. It didn't happen like that. We went all the way back to our youth hostel and it was several hours later as we're sitting in this hotel style room that it finally hit me when the RPMs had throttled back just enough and I realized, oh no, I missed it. And there was no way to go back. And I share that because I don't want you to miss what God has put in front of you tonight. What has he put? See, you came in a certain way. All the busyness of your life, the RPMs were high, but you came in here and now God has revealed that he is doing much in the nations, in the marginalized, in the neighborhood, and he's invited us into those spaces. And so will you make the adjustment or will you go on as business as usual? The choice really is right there. So now what? Here's what I would ask you to do. Very simple outflow from all that we've talked about tonight. That you would simply pray. I'm with intensity, with passion, with intentionality that you would pray and you would ask God, all right, God, I've been living here and I see that you're inviting me somewhere. Help me to know what that is and then will you join him in that work? And then will you ask him to help you make the adjustments, to genuinely pray and ask God, is it the nation's God? Help me adjust. Is it the marginalized God? Help me adjust. Is it my neighborhood God? Help me adjust because can you imagine a movement of men and women and families leveraging their one and only life for the sake of the gospel in this generation? Could you imagine the stories that would be told for generations if thousands of us said yes to what God invited us into when he said go. Will you pray? Let's pray. Before I lead us in any prayer, I want to give you guys a couple minutes where you would have the awesome opportunity to connect with your heavenly father and begin that conversation that I just challenged you to have. Would you just pray and begin asking him, God, what is it you're inviting me into And will you help me make the adjustment? Would you just spend some time in the quietness of your seat? And I'll close us down in just a second before we respond in worship. Jesus, that we would be a people that would get to taste and see what it's like to be invited into that space of eternal difference. To go from here and be able to be a part of the story that you're writing as you draw the nations to yourself, to invest our one and only lives, to possibly be a part of making the gospel beautiful to the marginalized to live in such a way that people who are in close proximity to us in our neighborhoods or places that we frequent often got to be used by you for things that will matter forever is almost incomprehensible, but yet you have invited us in. And so would you change our heart that will shift our mind that will cause us to live differently that you will help us to make the adjustments because left to ourselves, we're gonna try to make things work on our own, thinking that we can make this happen in and of our own power, but it can't. It's a, a work of your spirit that draws us into understanding what you've called us into and then changing our hearts to be able to join you in your work. So God, would you change our hearts, help us to grab hold of what you've invited us into with joy, not guilt, To accept that invitation and be used by you is a privilege, and that you would call us into that. God, help us to, to understand what that looks like. So as we go from here tonight, God, I pray that this would just be the start of the conversation that we have with you, and then as you reveal what it looks like for us to join you in, that, I pray that we would go for it and we would taste and see that you are good, that we would not give our lives to entertainment and so many other things that distract uh, from your vision for our lives, um, that we would not get so busy with the ideas that we have in our head of how things are supposed to look, but that we would surrender fully to the call that you've given us to go. So God, change us, pester us, give us a holy discontent that will not go away And that when we go, you would use us in powerful ways so that you get the glory that you so rightfully deserve and we would taste the joy of being uh, an obedient servant used by you that shakes eternity because you did something through us that we never thought possible. God, build in us a desire to understand what it looks like to imagine a movement. Only you can do that. So we surrender that to you right now, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.